Hello, this is Dr. Kevin Skinner. Today we're going to be talking about the most effective relapse prevention strategies. As a professional, many of my clients have asked me, how do I prevent relapse? I just keep going back. Today, we're going to be talking about some effective tools to help prevent relapse. You'll learn how to utilize the same tools that others have used in their successful recovery. You don't have to recreate the wheel to learn what recovery is. You will learn what has worked for others. Relapse, by definition, means slipping back into behaviors that you've decided to leave behind. Or, Webster's Dictionary says, it's to fall or slip back into a former state or practice. Now, relapse is something that it's really not an unfortunate event that happens to you. It's a series of bad choices that you make. And so we're going to be talking about some of the bad choices that end up leading us back into relapse. And generally speaking, the term relapse also assumes that you have attempted to leave something behind. It is often accompanied with the thought that recovery has taken place. In your mind, maybe you think you're done, and then a few weeks or a few months later, you fall back into the same pattern. Well, that's what relapse is. Unfortunately, most people assume that because they haven't viewed pornography in a few weeks or months, that they won't have a relapse. That's just not the case. In many instances, relapse is a very common occurrence. In fact, in Dr. Karn's work, he identifies that in between the sixth month and the year mark of recovery is the most challenging for those who've had an addiction. Such was the case with Mike. Mike had been clean from pornography for five months. He was very optimistic that he wouldn't relapse. His energy was up and he was excited about the projects he was working on. He exclaimed, I think this is it. I have this thing kicked. At that point, I was a little concerned, knowing full well that the challenge or battle wasn't over. I cautioned Mike that over the next few weeks and months, there was going to be some battles. He assured me that he would be okay and told me that if he began to have problems, he'd let me know. As he left my office, I invited him to follow up with me and let me know how he was doing. A few months later, I received a phone call from Mike. He had relapsed. He came into my office just devastated. He couldn't imagine that he had slipped so quickly, and this time he had gone further than he had ever before. The type of pornographic images and video clips he had seen were repulsive to him. While he was devastated, what I saw was true growth inside of him. And let me explain what I mean by that. As we started talking about this relapse, he had assumed that he would have to start completely over. He didn't want to start this whole process over because it was so hard. Now, I explained to him that this was a great time for reflection and a good opportunity to grow. As we talked, I explained a few key elements of relapse and recovery from addiction. I'd like to share some of those with you now. First, what we do after a relapse is very important. You can, A, do nothing and allow yourself to relapse further to where you began or feel like everything you do is hopeless because you've given in again. You may even wonder if I can ever stop. Those are thoughts that happen with the relapse in the first part. Or B, you can recognize where you went wrong. Understand the reasons you relapsed. Maybe it's stress or family problems or work issues or school problems. Maybe it's that you feel alone. 
at this point, it's important that you identify how to intervene the next time so that you prevent relapse. So that's what takes some personal internal insight. Number two, right after relapse occurs is going to be the most crucial part of long-term recovery. Now, I pointed out to Mike that he knew he needed support. What a great thing. He knew that he needed support, and so he went and got support. He called me just two weeks after his slip-up. He readily acknowledged that this was progress for him because before he would have gone for weeks or even months before disclosing to someone that he had slipped again. And then number three, most people relapse in the recovery process. As I discussed this with Mike, it was a foreign concept. He thought most people, if they just stop, they say, I'm going to stop looking at pornography, that they just automatically stop. Well, most experts have found that the average successful self-changer relapses several times. Now, after these thoughts, Mike looked up with a little bit more understanding. He realized that his recovery was a process and not an event, and that his own perception that his problem was over had actually facilitated his relapse. He said that he had been fine for many months. In fact, it had been eight months since his last episode, so he'd gone eight months. Now, that was a great improvement over looking at it about once a month. This is the process of how he started into his relapse. He said, I started fantasizing and developing what we call some secret plans that would make it feel like it was an accident or look like it was an accident. He'd been watching a little bit more late-night TV, knowing that flipping the channels would likely lead him into some type of sexual content. Next, he identified that thought that it wouldn't be a big deal if he wasn't intentionally looking at pornography online, but maybe it would be okay if he bumped into it on the TV. Now, this secret plan was developed over a few weeks' time, where he had watched TV late a few nights, but instead of going on, he turned it off before he saw too much. He realized that his secret plan of accidentally finding sexual content on TV was his downfall. After three episodes of late-night TV, he couldn't handle it anymore, and he gave in. His insight, and this is a key point here, his own insight into why he relapsed was very helpful for him. He saw how he had set himself up for slipping up. Mike's desire to understand himself and why he relapsed was a great sign. I want you to compare Mike's story to Ron's story. Ron, he came to therapy. He was very reluctant. He didn't really believe in counseling or therapy. And in fact, he thought he could handle the problem by himself. And that was as much as he told me. Even in the first session, he said, I don't know why I'm here. I'm just following what I was told to do. After a few sessions, we assessed his problem and his struggle, and I discussed with him the basic tools for overcoming pornography addiction. He said, I've been coming for three weeks, and I haven't had any problems. I think I can handle this on my own. And at that point, he decided that he was going to try it on his own and that there wouldn't be any follow-up. Now, I didn't see or hear from Ron for many, many months until he emailed me asking me if I had any openings. Now, we met, and I asked him some simple questions. And at this point, I asked him a question that I ask many people to think about. I asked him, why do you want to change this time? Why now? What is the motivating force that makes it so you want to change now? Now, see, I believe that everyone must identify the reasons that they want to change. What is the reason that motivates you to want to change right now? And I found that very few people succeed when they are doing it for someone else. It needs to be for them. 
Now, in these two stories of Mike and Ron, there are some similarities and some significant differences that need to be pointed out. Now, first, both Mike and Ron became overly confident and overlooked a common fact with sexual addiction like pornography, that the second six months of the first year is the most challenging. Now, that's just one part of it. In my experience as a professional therapist, my clients, once they feel like they're recovered or they haven't relapsed in a long time and they're feeling more confident, that's when it's crucial that they maintain strength, that they still recognize that they are vulnerable. One of the most interesting findings on recovering from sexual addiction is that it takes time. If it's a month or two months or three months that we've been meeting, I tell my clients that there's going to be a point where their desire to want to not relapse is going to wane. In other words, it's going to go down. Dr. Carnes, in his work with sexual addicts, he found something that I want to highlight here. For whatever reason, somewhere between the six-month and the year mark is a more challenging time. He says that the first few months, there's high motivation. It may be because a family member, a wife, is saying, if you do this, there's going to be consequences. We'll end up divorcing. Or a bishop or a clergyman says, hey, if you can't do this, there's going to be consequences. Well, that gives high motivation for a certain period of time. Maybe they've come to counseling. So there's high motivation initially. Well, what happens when that motivation begins to wane? Well, in my experience as a professional and also in research findings by Dr. Carnes, those second six months of the year are very challenging. So be aware of that in relapse prevention. If you ignore that, you may set yourself up for relapse. Now, the second point of similarity between Mike and Ron is that they both came back to therapy after the relapse. So they both admitted, hey, I did need some help. Now, there's differences here now. First of all, Mike admitted to himself that he was starting to relapse, and he sought help right after that. Whereas Ron, he waited for many months after relapsing. That's the first point of difference. The second point of difference, when Mike relapsed, he started assessing where he went wrong and what he could do different the next time. He actually came to our first session after his relapse with that information. This personal insight is a great sign in the healing process. It shows personal awareness, which is a very important thing to look at if you're healing. Do you have personal awareness of why you slipped, of what you would do different? Now, Ron, on the other hand, he wasn't ready to assess why he had relapsed. He was more concerned that he had to come back. He was still trying to change because someone else wanted him to change and not him. Number three, Ron was still not owning his part in the relapse. He wasn't yet able to see the preliminary steps that led him to relapse. On the other hand, Mike recognized that his relapse started occurring weeks before he had actually relapsed. Ron couldn't identify where his relapse started. And so this self-awareness was a significant difference in these two. If we look at relapse as an event, we would automatically think that, well, both Mike and Ron slipped up. Now, however, if we look at this as a process, it would be clear that Mike is likely to be more close to recovery than Ron. Now, that isn't to judge Mike or Ron. It's just to say that their own levels of awareness are different at this point. Mike is ready to create a lasting change, while Ron is still determining if he wants to make the sacrifice to change. 
Now consider this concept, and this is a very good model that has been used often in the addiction recovery treatment. And this was written in a book, Changing for Good, by James Prochaska, John Norcross, and Carlos de Clementines. Their model is based upon a concept of what creates change. And they've developed what they've identified as six stages. And I want to go over these six stages of relapse prevention and also the recovery process of what really creates change. First stage is what they call pre-contemplation. At this stage, you haven't thought about changing. You may have a little inkling that there's something not quite right, but in reality, it's you don't know that there's a really big problem. You don't think that there's a big problem. Now, this pre-contemplation stage is really a stage where you don't want to change. Others may be starting to tell you that, hey, you might have a problem, but you aren't willing to look at it. And the contemplation stage, which is stage two, is where you begin to muse or do you think about your life that it might be better if you did change. At this contemplation stage, you might be, oh, I don't really want to, but maybe I need to. If you're religious, you might go talk to your bishop or your clergyman. You might say, you know, I probably need to talk with you because I've had some issues or I've had some struggles with this. And so in this contemplation stage, you're thinking, you know, I need to start making this change. And your own awareness starts to increase. You start to evaluate more. Oh, my goodness, I'm actually spending, often I'm looking at pornography a lot, more than I want to. Maybe it's weekly. Maybe it's once a month. And you're thinking, hey, you know, this is happening more than I'm comfortable. That's where you contemplate it. In stage three, you start to prepare to make a decision and start the planning stage. In reality, when you start to create this change, you have to prepare to make the change. It just doesn't happen in most instances. So you start to plan, how am I going to do this? What's my game plan? What tools can I utilize to overcome this addiction? Preparation is literally a critical time for developing skills. There are three specific skills that I will refer to here. First of all, you need to develop a firm, detailed scheme of action or a game plan, both internal and external, that we've already discussed in the previous CDs. If you have a firm plan, your mind is more prepared. Second, you need to make sure that you have learned the change process you need to carry. In other words, you need to understand what it is that you want to change. Specifically, identify what do I want different. If you don't identify what you want different, why would you do it different? Because then you've got an untargeted goal. And number three is practice, practice, practice. Earlier, we talked about fire drills in the earlier CDs. In preparation, you're going to identify fire drills. For example, I'm home alone at night. My wife is gone. She's not going to be home for two and a half hours. My children are asleep. I'm all by myself. What will I do under that circumstance? I'm all alone. This is scenario number two. I'm all alone. My roommates are gone. They're asleep. What will I do when it's 1130 at night, my roommates are asleep, and I'm not tired? What will I do? Do run through a few fire drills of the times that you are most vulnerable. Now, we've already talked about some of those fire drills, but create as many of those as you can as you work through this relapse prevention strategy. Questions you might want to ask yourself. Do I need to put limits on how much time I spend on the computer or where I use it? 
What do I need to be cautious of? What is it exactly that needs to be changed? Or what do I need to change? Those are questions that you need to ask in the preparation stage. You're building the foundation for long-term success. So that's the preparation stage of what really creates change according to uh, James Prochaska. Now the fourth stage is taking action. And you have to ask yourself, what steps am I going to take to create this change? Now, there are many action stages that need to happen here. One of them is obviously the behavioral change. You need to not be looking at pornography. But you can also take action in your own level of awareness, in understanding your own emotions, in changing your self-image, how you think or how much you fantasize. All of these are action stages where you actually are doing something different. It's actually monitorable. I'm looking at pornography less. I'm spending less time with the TV. When I'm frustrated, I deal with my emotions. I've been working on my self-image for so long. I've had such a low self-concept or low self-worth or feeling of low self-worth. I'm working on my image and how I see myself. All of these are action stages where you're doing something. This stage is actually a very critical stage in the recovery process and also to help you avoid relapse. If you're taking action, you're being proactive. That goes along with the productivity principle that we previously discussed. So question, what actions are you going to take to stop this behavior? And I would invite you to take some time and write those specific actions down. Now, once you've taken action and you're in this stage, you're probably feeling a little bit more confident. You're feeling a little bit more excited about what you're doing. And now it's time to maintain. This is actually stage five, maintenance. You've started to have some success at this stage. Now we need to keep it in place. Maintenance is a matter of time and keeping yourself on track. Remember, this is going to be a process and not an event. So maintenance is going to then require you to just be as consistent as you can. Number six is the sixth stage of change, relapse prevention. First of all, write down or identify and prepare yourself for avoiding high-risk situations. Or in other words, those in which you are likely to engage in looking at pornography. Write as many of those high-risk situations down as you can. Number two, develop alternative responses to situations you can avoid that cause you high stress or lead to other negative emotions. You remember that one of the reasons for relapse is people go into relapse when they're under high stress. And if you're in high stress and your common behavior is to go look at pornography, then what are you going to do when you're in high stress? And that's something that you could actually do as part of your fire drill. What are the biggest stressors that you're going to experience? And what will you do when you're feeling that stress? Now, number three in relapse prevention is developing a backup mentality to abstinence. A lot of my clients say, I need to be absolutely perfect. I need to not slip up. It has to be absolutely perfect. Well, I just want you to understand that you need to have a game plan that what happens if you slip up? What will you do? A slip-up should not drive you to abandon all restraint. And in some instances, it does do that because many of my clients report that once they've slipped up, they start binging and they will binge for a day or two days or three days. So if you slip up, 
you need to have a specific game plan. What will I do if there's a relapse? Getting down on yourself at this point really exacerbates the problem. Self-loathing and despair often lead to relapse. Remember that whenever you are feeling yourself sliding or out of control, that you actually have a choice. You have a choice. Okay, now we want to talk about some specific tools that can continue to help you from preventing relapse. And what I want to do is identify in Dr. Stanton Peel's book, Seven Tools to Beat Addiction, he identifies some very important tools that help prevent relapse. And these are tools that are very effective, especially for those individuals who recognize that, hey, I can do this myself. I want to be able to do this by myself. Because the tools that are given here are very exciting for the individual who says, hey, I'm a person who can do this. I might need a little bit of extra help by talking with a clergyman or a bishop or a counselor, but I can do a lot of this by myself. So first of all, Dr. Stanton Peel, he said, we need to identify our own values. And what he means by that is, what are the factors that are most important to you? What matters the most to you in your life? And so at this time, I would like you, in this first part, I'm going to identify all seven of these tools in the next few minutes with you. But at this time, I want you, first of all, what are the factors or the things in your life that are most important to you? I would invite you to stop the CD right now and take some time and identify at least five to ten things that are most important to you in your life. Now that you've done that, I want you to look at this list. If you look at the list and you say, do I act in line with the things that you value the most? Are your actions in line with the things that you value the most? For example, if you wrote down my marriage and my family, do you make them a priority? Or has the addiction or has pornography or something else hindered that? Is it possible that you are not acting in line with the things that you care the most about? Now, there's another part to understanding your own values. What are the beliefs that you hold about pornography? That's an interesting question. What are the beliefs that you hold about pornography? Is it bad? Is it not that bad? Is it okay? Is it just there? What do you believe about pornography? When you really start to believe that you want to change and that pornography is not good for you, your beliefs will guide that change. Now, on the other hand, if you believe that viewing pornography is not a big deal or not that big of a deal, it will often lead you back to it. So if your beliefs are that it is something that you don't want to look at, let those beliefs guide you and work within you. Your values are important to helping you overcome pornography addiction. Every time you look at pornography, it's actually showing your values. They're on display as an example. Values are important because those are the things that you say are important to you. If you're not acting consistent with them, as we talked about in one of the earlier CDs, then you're going to be in a state of dissonance. What values or beliefs do you have that keep you from simply ruling out looking at pornography. What are the beliefs that authorize that behavior? We've asked you to do that before, but this is a very important time 
to reevaluate what beliefs do you have that keep you from ruling out just not looking at pornography? What are the justifications? As you identify your most important values and you start asking yourself the question, am I letting these values or these beliefs guide my current behaviors? If they are not, what are you going to do to change? Pornography addiction sometimes feels like you're not free. Do you value your own freedom? And if you do value your freedom, are you free when you are looking at pornography? In many instances, the answer will be no. But what do you do about that? In order to decide what recovery path to take, you must first understand what is important to you, what you believe, and what you consider to be right. Think about it. What do you consider to be right? If you let your beliefs and your values guide you, you have a key component to creating change. However, consider the following beliefs. A little won't hurt. I deserve it. Some people, they've become so entrenched in their addiction that they feel completely hopeless and helpless. Those two are beliefs that you have about pornography. It feels hopeless. I can't win. I can't fight this battle. I can't do it on my own. I just can't do it. Those are the beliefs that are currently guiding your behavior. Well, what if you could do it? Who says you can't do it? One client, he described it this way, and this tells you his belief system. He says, for more than half of my life, I have been trying to quit looking at pornography. I kept telling myself over and over that this was the last time that I was going to quit. Then after so many times of failing, he said, I gave up. He said, at once I had given up, I was looking at it every day, and I knew that it was wrong, but I didn't have any resolve to try and quit. So at that point, his motivation level was very low. This is a very important concept. If your motivation is low, we're going to need to find how to do that. And that is actually the second tool that Dr. Stanton Peel discusses in his book, Seven Tools to Be Addiction. So here's the concept of motivation. The seeds to the solutions to your problems, they lie within you. So your job at this point is to understand that your motivation comes from within you. You have to ask, am I ready to give up pornography? Am I willing to make the commitment to give this up, or do I still want to give in? You have to ask that question to yourself. If you are motivated, my job is to help you minimize the time that you're focused on this, that you're spending on it, whether that's in therapy, whether that's in groups. I want you to realize that you can do this. I want you to be free of this. And some people say, well, that's minimizing it. That's overlooking how hard the struggle is. Does the struggle have to be that hard? Second, in motivation, expecting yourself to establish your own goals and your methods of change. Now, we've given you some tools. I've given you some tools in these CDs. But you need to identify what your goals are and what your methods for change are going to be. These are some of the tools that I've given you, but you need to identify which of these tools are going to work best for you. Maybe you need other tools in talking with someone else. Number three, you need to be working your individual value framework. In other words, act consistent with your values. The principle of integrity is being complete or whole, doing what you say you're going to do. Are you living up to your own values? I want to read a story here that comes from Dr. Stanton Peel's book because it's a very interesting story. The prime example of a person whose values helped him overcome an addiction is my Uncle Ozzy. 
As you'll remember, Ozzy quit smoking forever based on what seemed like a chance statement by a co-worker that Ozzy was a sucker for the tobacco companies. He said that his uncle Ozzy started smoking at age 18, and he continued smoking for 30 years. He described his habit as a horrible habit. But then the price of cigarettes went up. It rose from 30 cents to 35 cents. And while he was eating lunch with a group of fellow employees, Ozzy went to a cigarette machine to purchase a pack. A woman co-worker said, look at Ozzy. If they raised the price of smokes to a dollar, he'd pay for them. He's such a sucker for the tobacco companies. Ozzy replied, you're right, I'm going to quit. The woman, also a smoker, said, can I have that pack of cigarettes you just bought? Ozzy answered, what, and waste 35 cents? He smoked that pack and never smoked again. Could you say that same is true about you? Are you a sucker for the pornography companies? We're making billions and billions of dollars? Now we're prepared to answer the question of why Ozzy quit. Ozzy was committed person. The most important value governing his life was the desire to maintain his integrity and independence. That is what helped him free himself. Maintained his integrity and he wanted his own independence. The question is, in your motivation, are you living by your own value framework? Number four, are you checking your progress over time? Effective treatment models believe that you are capable of change. If anybody ever says you cannot change, it's that they don't see that this is possible. We often hear that people relapse all the time, that they are going to fail. You can do this, but you've got to believe in yourself. You've got to follow your game plan. You've got to get your motivation up. Now, I'm going to ask you to take some time. Ask yourself the following questions. What would motivate you to stop looking at pornography? Do you have anything that would motivate you in your life right now that would stop you from looking at pornography? Now I want you to write down a list of things that could motivate you to stop looking at pornography. Now that you've got this list, why would that motivation work? As the next part of motivation, you need to ask yourself the following question. Why are you not able or why do you refuse to change a habit that is harming you or that others are complaining about? Why are you not willing to create that change? Next, I want you to list all of the reasons that you're not able to quit. And then I want you to review this list and attempt to create a new list for each of the reasons you gave for not being able to quit. For example, I'm not able to quit because I spend so much time alone and I feel like nobody cares about me. Now I want you to create a list of the reasons why you can quit. I guess I'm really not alone as much as I thought I was. When I'm alone, I do have friends that I can call. I can call up my family. I can talk with my spouse. I could even call up a coworker. It's important that you identify the reasons that you're not able to quit and then create a list of the reasons based upon that specific reason why you can't, why you could. Now, I want to talk about another step in the motivation. As I have discussed in previous CDs, we all need an accountability partner. And I believe that this next tool is probably key and fundamental to your change. First of all, 
you need to set up your own brief program with a friend, a family member, or another person who is concerned about your progress. Perhaps they, too, want to work on an addictive problem or make changes in their lives, and you can assist them as they in turn help you. So, here's how it works, and this is designed by Dr. Stanton Peel in his book. He talks about this. He says, after an initial meeting where you discuss steps you each plan to take, next, schedule a fixed date within the next month to meet again. At that meeting, you're going to want to come prepared to assess the behavior or its consequences. For example, you're going to want to evaluate your success in not looking at pornography. You're going to discuss how often you struggle with fantasizing or that you wanted to give in. Next, you're going to discuss whether you were successful or not in your effort. And then review the actions you have taken and assess which steps hold the best promise. At the end of your discussion with this person, schedule a fixed date to meet again. So here's how this works. Let's say that as a therapist, I said, okay, I want Mike and Ron to meet together. And these two have agreed to meet together, and they're, they're going to talk about the problems that they've had. I've been looking at pornography once a week, or I've been looking at pornography three to five times a week. So they're being open with it. I've struggled with fantasy. So now we're going to assess the behavior or its consequences. First of all, when they meet together, Mike might say to Ron, I actually had a pretty good month. The only consequence was I did give in once, and I didn't go to class. And Ron might say, okay, so that was the behavior and its consequences. And Ron might say, well, I had a rough month. I gave in five times, and each time it ended in masturbation, and I felt, I, I felt alone. I felt like I was completely relapsing. I felt such a strong craving. And I started feeling bad about myself. I started feeling like this was a hopeless battle again. That's the type of honesty that we're talking about. Now, if we discuss the success, it may be, hey, what, how did that compare to previous experiences? This intervention is designed to have accountability and work together as a team. This could be done with a parent. It could be done with a spouse. Perhaps the spouse wants to work on another element of their life. For example, it may be that they want to work on getting to bed earlier, or they may want to work on losing weight, or they want to work on eating more healthy. You can both share whatever issue you want to work on. In other words, this could work with anybody who you were able to say, let's work on something. I'm going to work on overcoming pornography, and you can work on whatever else. And then you share those experiences together. If you're willing to do this, and you're willing to evaluate and work on that maybe for an entire year together, there's two things that are accomplished here. You've developed a support system within your own life, and you have a follow-up, somebody who's going to, you're going to report to. This is a very key element that I want to explain. It fits with the accountability partner that I discussed earlier. Now we're going to move on to the third part of Dr. Stanton Peel's Tools to Preventing Relapse. And this is what he calls weighing the costs and the benefits of the addiction. What are the rewards of looking at pornography? Interesting question. Are there actually rewards in looking at pornography? I think if you looked honestly within your heart, there are reasons or rewards that you get. So please make a list of the rewards that you get from looking at pornography. 
For every benefit that you get in looking at pornography, list three alternative ways you can gain these feelings of satisfaction or things that you can experience that would replace those feelings or those rewards that you get from looking at pornography. Next, what are the costs of looking at pornography? What is it actually costing you? What is the challenge? What is the cost? Do you look at pornography for relaxation and fun, or are you viewing pornography to avoid negative feelings? Now, there's a clear distinction here. If you're looking at it for fun, then you're looking at it for an upper. Or are you doing it because you don't, you're avoiding the pain of being alone or afraid or scared or abandoned? You need to identify the specific reason why you're looking at it, and then you need to look at the function of the pornography. Oh, the function is, is I'm doing it for relaxation at these times, and then other times I'm doing it because I'm alone, or I'm doing it because I want to avoid negative feelings. Now, Dr. Stanton Peel says, it is critical for anyone trying to help a person with a pornography addiction to understand the needs that the addiction fulfills. And he claims that this understanding is necessary in order to root out the addiction. So that's the third step is you want to weigh the costs and the benefits. So here's some additional questions that you can ask yourself in this part of the process. When do you resort to the addiction? What results occur from viewing pornography? And why do you turn to pornography? A couple of questions that you want to ask is, what are you waiting for to change? What needs to happen? Sometimes putting a name on the reasons that you pursue your addiction can remove their own power, the power of the addiction. You need to allow yourself to acknowledge, for example, I look at pornography to feel better when I am alone. This admission may allow you to put your finger on something that you know is not right or needs to be changed. So, two things. Put a name on it or the reasons that you're pursuing pornography and the question, what are you waiting for to change? Finally, in this section of rewards, what will you have to give up if you stop looking at pornography? What are the rewards that you're just going to have to give up if you look at pornography? Make a list of them and then review this list often. Now, we're going to move on to the resources that you have within you. You need to identify your strengths and your weaknesses, developing the skills that help fill the gaps. For example, I often work with single young men who are dealing with pornography addiction. One of the most interesting elements that they experience is loneliness. They oftentimes don't feel like they have the skills to create a healthy relationship. And so I don't feel that therapy is complete if I haven't helped them strengthen that weakness. So you need to identify your key assets that are going to help you fight this pornography addiction. Is it that you're going to school and that you're focused on school or you want to get focused on school? Do you have a good job? Does your job help you fight pornography? Do you have supportive friends or family members? How about a social life? Do you have a social life or social group of friends that help you? Are they strengths? Are they assets? Or how about your relationship with God? Is that an asset that you can utilize in helping you fight this pornography addiction? I want you to identify your greatest strengths that you have. And then I'd like you to take some time and identify the specific weaknesses that you have. For example, I've never really been good at relationships. Or, you know, I just have had a hard time focusing on things throughout my life. I'll get started on one project and I won't be able to finish it. Or, I have low self-worth and that's one of the reasons that I turn to pornography is I feel like nobody cares. 
If those are weaknesses, those are areas that need to be worked on. Relapse prevention tells us that you need to improve your strengths while reducing your weaknesses. So some of the areas that you may need to work on, it may be social skills, learning to communicate better. Maybe it's problem solving. Dr. Hill says that we need to learn how to be independent and learn how to be alone. As a professional, my experience has been that pornography addiction is almost always related to relationship problems. And if we're having relationship problems or we don't have companionship, we need to learn how to spend time alone and in a way that is positive and productive and constructive. So a social skill is actually also learning to be by yourself. That may sound a little strange to people who say, I need people in my life. But learning to be alone, learning to think while you're alone, is a skill that you can utilize and develop a strength. Now, some people say, is that a lot like meditation or is that something like yoga? Those are good ideas to use in your meditation or while you're thinking. But you need to learn to spend time alone, learn to be alone. Other skills, do you need to learn to manage your emotions, such as anger, sadness, tenseness? Do you need to learn how to manage those types of emotions? If you learn to deal with your negative emotions, the hurtful emotions, that's a great sign. The next part is understanding emotional states that drive you to resort to pornography. What is the emotional state that most frequently leads you into pornography? And then we need to develop a skill that will help you deal with that emotional state. Say that emotional state is fear of being alone. And when you have that fear of being alone, you turn to pornography. Well, let's identify fear and look at other alternatives to what you can do when you're feeling afraid or fear of being alone. For example, I was just talking with somebody this week who said, I actually do have a fear of being alone. And what I've had to learn to do is when I'm alone to go talk with a friend or a family member. So they use social help. But they also said that, hey, there's one other thing that I've really learned to do, and that is that I take some time and think by myself. They understand I don't have to be with somebody. I can learn to be by myself. I don't have to feel rejection or like nobody cares about me. Next, we need to learn how to resist urges. Every pornography addiction you're going to have an urge. And it's learning to make it through that urge. I work with clients who have anxiety or panic attacks. And one of the common strategies that is used with them is to help them realize that the panic attack will stop. It will end. And that's a very helpful thing for them to understand is it's always ended in the past. Well, I want to let you know that your urge will stop. It will end. And then finally, we need to follow through with relapse prevention strategies. We need to break the flow. And that just comes in your own self-awareness. Why am I looking at pornography? How do I stop this? How do I utilize the relapse prevention strategies that I've already talked about with you? The next tool identified by Dr. Peel is support, getting help from those nearest to you. And in this, it is important for you to Get a support group of people around you, including yourself. If you don't have self-respect, it's important that you get self-respect. 
And he says we need to gain a positive identity. He said in his book, Love and Addiction, he wrote, Addiction is a childlike search for constant security and gratification. Infantile desires that maturity tells us are impossible to fulfill. In other words, when we are looking at pornography, if it's the addiction, it's because it's our security blanket and we're looking for it and gratification. But as we mature and our mind matures, we know that we don't have to always have our needs filled. There's times where they aren't going to be fulfilled, and that is emotional maturity. It means that we turn away from a preoccupation with our own needs and become aware of the needs of the people around us. Think of how self-focused you are when you are viewing pornography. You've created your own little bubble. And very seldom, when you're looking at pornography, are you thinking about other people. It becomes so self-focusing that you're not looking out for other people. Part of the healing process then here and prevention of relapse is to get involved with people in serving and giving in a productive and healthy way. The other part of this is, as you get support, getting a more mature identity, is that you reform how you view yourself. My clients who have been dealing with pornography for many, many years, their identity has taken a hit. They don't believe in themselves. They question whether they can be loved. They question whether they can ever quit the addiction. As a consequence, this forms their identity of, maybe I'm not as good. Again, we're trying to get you to tap into your strengths, who you really are. And that occurs when you go back to the very first part and you identify and live consistent with what you really value. What do you value and how do you live consistent with those values? The next part of it is is that you take responsible for your own relapses. When you relapse, if you don't take responsibility, it really puts you into earlier state. It's really like going back into the pre-contemplation or the contemplation stage in comparison to taking actions and preparing for success. Can you imagine what your identity would be like without pornography? I'd like you to take some time and actually write that down. What would my identity be like without pornography? Now, the seventh tool is higher goals and pursuing and accomplishing things that you really value. In this stage or this tool, you're going to want to identify some personal goals. Goals as they relate to work and school, to your relationships or developing relationships, to your own finances. You want to identify religious and spiritual goals. You want to identify service-related goals and health-related goals. That could include exercise, lifting weights, aerobics, whatever you choose. In the process of utilizing this tool, you're going to really come into the things that you want, that you really value, and you're going to start focusing more and more energy on them. As you do so, you're going to begin to move forward in life. Remember, addiction keeps your mind stuck. You're stuck in your own internal world, and as a process, you aren't pursuing your own goals. That is why many of my clients who are struggling with pornography, they've stopped having goals at work for promotions. Or if they're at school, they've stopped moving forward in their schooling. They may go through the motions, but they feel so bad about themselves that they feel like this education isn't as good as it could be. 
So these are the seven tools that Dr. Stanton Pill uses in helping relapse prevention. Let me review them with you one more time. First are your values. What is it that you genuinely value? Are you living consistent with those values? Number two, what's going to motivate you? Make a list of things that will motivate you to stop looking at pornography. Number three, what are the rewards of looking at pornography? What are the rewards of not looking at pornography? Number four, what are your personal resources, your own strengths? Number five, what type of support do you have around you? Number six is the development of a mature identity. And number seven is reaching for higher goals. Remember earlier we talked about how excellence and addiction are similar functions or processes in the brain. As you reach for higher goals, you're going to be moving out of the addiction mind frame and into excellence. That's what the purpose of higher goals is. Now this part concludes some of the general strategies for relapse prevention. I want you to understand that this is a process and not just an event. If you've slipped up, don't give up. Get back on the bandwagon as soon as possible. As you do so, your own awareness of yourself will increase, just like Mike's did. It increased because he was looking at himself. My clients who are successful gain more understanding of themselves when they've relapsed. Those who succeed, in my experience, they have more emotional maturity, they start to believe in themselves, they start to develop ideas that they can win this battle. You can win this battle. The truth be known, most people succeed in overcoming their addictions. Now that's going to be counter to what some people say, is that you can never overcome an addiction. But most people, they can succeed. These are the tools that help you prevent relapse. I invite you to listen to the first two CDs, and as you do so, you listen to them. Now that you've got those tools, now let's look at this relapse prevention, these strategies that we've talked about, and as you do so, you will gain more confidence. Now, in conclusion, I would like to give you two more strategies. The first is I want you to spend a significant amount of time thinking about your life without pornography what you're going to be doing, how you're going to be doing it. This may require you to deal with the grief of the things that have been lost because of looking at pornography. What have I lost because of looking at pornography? You might be shocked when you look at what's occurred over the last few years of your life because of pornography. You might feel grief. You might feel sadness and pain. But when you acknowledge that pain, that's a good sign that you aren't ignoring what's been occurring in the past. During this period of feeling pain and grief, you might actually feel like relapsing because of the emotional pain that you feel from what's occurred. I want you to know that this is a good sign when you've actually felt that emotional pain. But if you can emotionally say, I'm in pain and I don't have to look at pornography, you're starting to win more and more of the battle. Now you start to repair what's occurred. And this is where you start to have more and more sobriety. And it's looking for a completeness or a wholeness within you. At this point, there's a capacity for more joy. 
So understand that as you spend less and less time looking at pornography, yes, you're going to go through a grief stage, but now it's time to repair yourself, your inner identity. That inner identity comes from being truthful with yourself, being truthful with your own temptations. If you're feeling tempted, it's getting help quickly or talking to somebody quickly, especially if you have a good accountability partner. That is a very good thing to do is to be able to talk with him as soon as you start feeling like you're starting to have relapse thoughts, relapse ideas. Many people, they relapse because they've created a secret world around them. If you can deal with that secret world openly with somebody, you're going to begin that successful stage of recovery. Now, there's one other part here. It's your fear of the future without the addiction. Many times, pornography addiction comes from a fear within. Some people have used it as a security blanket. It is what I turn to when I'm in pain. So you might need to deal with your fear of the future without the addiction. And I would suggest you do this by sharing your story. In the process of sharing your story, I would invite you at this point to go back to the very first time that you saw pornography. Write as much as you can how you felt, what you experienced. Write about when you next looked at pornography. Write about the times, what you were doing, where you were doing it. Then write about some of the consequences as a result of pornography. Write about the intense emotions that you experienced. Be completely open and honest in sharing your story. Identify how it's impacted your life spiritually and emotionally, physically, academically, or at work. Financially, how's it impacted your life? Again, sharing this story with yourself is part of this. The next step of that is, okay, that's the part of my life that I'm trying to get rid of. That's the story that I've been telling myself over and over and over and over again. Now, what is my story? My story is... I'm a successful person. I'm a good person. I can do this. I can succeed. I know how to communicate. I know how to deal with my own emotions. I have the great ability to have relationships with the people around me in healthy ways. I have a good self-image. I have a good self-awareness. As you've developed these skills, you're going to succeed more often. It's only when we ignore those things, and we relapse because we're ignoring our own strengths. You can stop this behavior. It's not going to be easy, but you can stop. Let me conclude with this story. I've been working with an individual for a few months, and when he first came in, he had been struggling uh, very much with feelings of inadequacy, feelings of I can't do this, it's hopeless, I'm only coming here because it's really the last resort. And as we have been meeting, we've discussed the internal desire that he has. That's one of his strengths. He has an internal desire to change. But for so long, he didn't have the tools. So we talked about what I have talked with you about in the first and second CD. We talked about those basic tools. Then we started talking about relapse prevention strategies. And we can only talk about relapse prevention strategies once you understand the tools that are in place. 
And so as I met with him, I gave him those tools and he worked on him. He relapsed periodically, but it was less frequent and he started seeing some growth. And he realized that, you know, this isn't hopeless. And so as usual, I explained to him that this is a process and not an event. And so we worked together, we worked together, and soon he get, had more and more momentum. He came in a few days ago and he said, you know, I'm not perfect yet, but I'm at the point now where I really have an understanding of when I'm starting to feel tempted. And that awareness all by itself has empowered him because he knows what to do with a game plan. He knows how to talk to people. He knows what to do. He has a support system. He has an accountability partner. And over time, we've seen that success inside of him. He's grown emotionally. Now, will he succeed long-term? I believe he can because he's open to the possibilities that this is going to be an ongoing battle, but he's starting to find success in the other areas of his life. He understands his strengths and weaknesses, and he's now open to it. Finally, four steps that researchers have found for people who leave behind problematic and addictive behaviors. This comes from Dr. Prochaska's book, Changing for Good. First, learn to devalue the positive aspects of the behavior. In other words, you want to look at the behavior and say, that isn't as valued or as positive as I thought it was. Number two, develop confidence in your ability to abstain from it. Number three, keep a healthy distance from the behavior. And this requires that when you start emotionally feeling like you want to give in, that you get help internally. You look and say, I'm starting to want to give in. I might need to turn to my accountability partner. I might need to use one of the positive skills that I've developed. Social skills, I might need to go talk with a friend. I might need to do one of the positive things, play my guitar, play the piano. And number four is through the development of your new habits and your new behaviors, because in the process of overcoming any addiction, you've developed new habits and new behaviors. If you haven't developed new habits and behaviors, your climate hasn't changed and you're more likely to relapse. So number four is you're going to develop new habits and behaviors, and you're going to find that at this point, there's not as many temptations to return to it. Those are literally the four things that conclude changing for good. You learn to devalue the positive aspects of that behavior, looking at pornography. You develop confidence in your ability to abstain from it. You keep a healthy distance from the behavior. And then number four, you've developed new habits and behaviors. If you want to change, those are the things that sum up your success. You can succeed. You can do this. Believe in yourself. And as you do so, your habits, your perception of yourself will increase and you will believe that you can do this. Good luck in your efforts and you can accomplish this and I wish you the best of luck.